I don't know how many of you feel this sometimes when you watch the news or just when you go through your everyday life. You watch the news, you see circumstances around you, and you see the pain. Uh, you see the hurt, and there's this feeling of, what do I do? What do I do beyond taking this in and being overwhelmed by it? What can I do? Just this morning, I, I get CNN news alerts and Fox news alerts on my phone. It's always fun to see they compete to see who can get the news out first. But this morning, I got one that just left me sitting in, in prayer. I was wrapping up details on my sermon, and I guess there was a volleyball match in Afghanistan just this morning where 45 people were killed by a suicide bomber. More than 60 were injured. You read stuff like that, and your heart just breaks. You say, God, what, what can I do in that kind of suffering? Yesterday, me and Carolyn... I went to a memorial service for a lady that lived on our street, Melanie. This was the flyer, 54 years old. And uh, Melanie was a sweet lady. We'd see her out in the front yard. We'd see her at neighborhood parties. But mostly we'd see her going to and from work. And we found out more about what she did after she died than we knew before because she just wasn't the kind of person to talk about it. This was on her her flyer from her memorial service it said, Melanie, 54, suddenly passed on November 1st at her home in Prescott Valley. She was just getting ready for work, evidently. Her bright green eyes, big hugs, huge smile, and loving affection were felt by those she touched. Listen to her life. Teaching parenting classes for families of the juvenile court system and counseling more than 140 adult clients at West Yavapai Guidance Clinic as a case manager for mental illness were her occupations. The memorial service was at Prevent Child Abuse, uh, where she helped families that where child abuse had happened over and over again move forward in their lives. And we never knew that from her own mouth, but she made me think about you know, what Jesus said, when you do your works of righteousness, don't do them to be seen by men. Uh, for that will be your reward. Do them before your Father in heaven, and He will reward you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we learned at the service yesterday, she had given her life to the Lord early on. And you look at a life like that, someone who loves people in their pain, someone who loves, she also loved animals. If you're an animal lover, took in many stray animals and took care of them, you say, wow. And you see your parents there and her brother, and you're like, wow. The pain at, at such a young age. What do I do? What can we do? And when I thought about those situations, one of the first things I thought of when I think about Jesus, we can do and that he did, is to go where they are. <coughs> go where the pain is. That's what Jesus did. We're going to see it in our passage and we're going to look at a couple other points. But first, just as a picture of what Jesus did in becoming flesh to come where we are in our suffering. I read a story this week that I think just paints this beautiful picture of that kind of commitment to go where they are. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. Anybody read it? <laughs> it was shared with me by the Loches. Awesome challenge to discipleship in that book. He told a story of a group of missionaries in Suriname in South America. There was a nearby island where there were slaves on a plantation at the time. This was years back. And they wanted to reach these slaves 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to give them the freedom that they could find in Jesus. But the, the masters on this plantation would only allow slaves to speak with other slaves. They couldn't speak with any free people. You know, I don't know if it was like slavery in America. There was this fear that if they speak with free people, they're going to get some wild ideas and, and break free themselves. So this group of missionaries, rather than wringing their hands and saying, there's nothing I can do, you know what they did? They sold themselves into slavery. So they could go onto this plantation and speak the gospel into the lives of these slaves. And many of those slaves came to Jesus. You talk about going where they are. Wow, are, are we doing that? on any level in our lives. Are we, are we going where they are? That's what Jesus did. We see him in this chapter, chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 31. He had just left Nazareth, his hometown. You'll remember he was rejected there. And now he's going back to Capernaum where he's already done some miracles. We know that Capernaum was the hometown of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, some of his key followers. But listen to what Matthew says when he describes his going to Capernaum. We're going to come back to our passage in Luke in a moment. Matthew talks about the same event in his own chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. So we get the idea that this was for a while. He, he set up camp here, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali the way of the sea, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's the poetic picture that Isaiah gives us when Jesus shows up in this lakeside town. A light dawns in the darkness. He, he went where the people were. In Luke's passage, he simply says in verse 31, he went down to Capernaum. Nazareth was 1,200 feet above sea level. Capernaum was 700 feet below sea level. Any of you grow up near a lake? I did. I grew up near Lake Erie. I just love going back there. Some of you may have seen a Facebook post from this summer, just sitting by the lake, hearing those, those waves crash in, smelling, even the smell of fish coming off the water. Some might think that's nasty, but it just brings something back to me. That, those are the kinds of sounds and smells. He would see fishermen as he came down there. He went where the people were. Second thing I want to talk about. He didn't just go where they were. When he went there, he spoke the truth boldly. You and I have the living, breathing word of God. The gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. He went there and preached the message of the kingdom to these people. It says in verse 32 that they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. It doesn't tell us specifically what he taught them, but we know the core of his message was the kingdom of God that he came to bring and the message of salvation in himself. He preached that and, and they were amazed because his words, logos, you remember he was the, the word of God, had authority. And I thought about that idea. You know, when Jesus comes to town and talks about God, it stands apart from when other people would talk about him. Because when the rabbis talked about God, they would quote other rabbis and they would quote traditions. Jesus came with the presence that I am God. It's like the difference between someone who writes a biography about 
a president, say, say George W. Bush, they, someone that writes a biography about what it's like to be the president, they come in here and talk to you about what they learned. It's a difference between that and George W. Bush showing up here and saying, this is what I experienced in the White House for eight years. That's kind of what's going on when Jesus shows up. His, his teaching is different because he's God. When we go to where the suffering is, do you and I speak the truth? Or are we people who are ashamed of the truth? Jesus spoke it boldly and they were amazed. He also went with righteous indignation against the enemy. Satan and his demons and what he had done in the lives of some of those people there. You guys know what Paul says in Ephesians 6, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood but against spiritual principalities and powers of darkness. And when Jesus came in here, when he came to earth, it was a message to the demons. This was their home turf. And Jesus shows up, it signals to them, he's here to bring a holy invasion against what we've done. You think about Jesus, God, the creator, and what he intended for people when he created Adam and Eve in the garden. And you think of all the ways from the garden when the serpent spoke to Eve and on down through history how he sought to destroy that and, and we cooperated. And, and you think about how that would make God feel. So Jesus shows up in flesh in verse 33. says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him! Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. We read this a couple months ago in our nighttime ritual with the boys and they were both laying down with their heads on the pillow. When, when I read the part about Jesus yelling at the demon and the demon coming right out, Jesus, uh, Jaden, excuse me, sat up in his bed and said, wow. <laughs> I was like, man, I love that. Some of us have lost our wonder at this encounter because we've heard it a hundred times. Jesus simply speaks and the demons don't get to vote. They don't get to think about it. They don't get to decide whether or not they're going to do it. They just have to leave because they live in paralyzing fear of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I thought about that and I thought about the power of that, that because the demons live in paralyzing fear of the Son of God, I do not have to live in paralyzing fear of the demons. I believe in spiritual warfare, but I don't believe in believers living in paralyzing fear because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I, I think about this from, from God's perspective. Genesis 1, verse 26. What's it say? It says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here, here is a person in this synagogue created in God's image that has been invaded by an impure spirit. 
I don't know if you've ever had your house broken into, the, the feelings that you have when you get home. <laughs> you find out somebody's been in there messing with your stuff. That's probably a loose comparison how God feels when the enemy's messing with one of his creatures created in his image. Paul would later go on to say that believers are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I'm not claiming that this demon-possessed man was a believer, but at the very least we know he was created in the image of God, and Jesus hated that this demon had invaded. It's hard to imagine. Sometimes when we read about Jesus, uh, we imagine him always even keel, except for those moments where he cleansed the physical temple. We, we imagine him always speaking like monotone, very, very calm, no emotion. I would love to have seen this encounter when this man possessed by a demon shows up, what kind of passion did Jesus say this with? Come out of him! I created him. You know, that kind of... I, I think about an example of this in the Old Testament. It was when King Josiah cleansed the temple. There, there as you know, had been many kings who had put tons of idols in the temple where God was to be worshipped. And this king named Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old, think about that. It says when he was 16, he began to seek God. And then when he was 20, he began to purge Israel of all the idols. And I want to read to you how passionately and how thoroughly he did this. And I want you just to see it as a, as a picture of the same kind of cleansing passion that Jesus had when he threw this demon out. It says, King Josiah, at this point, he was 26. Don't think you can't make a difference just because you're young. 26 years old, he called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. He stood by the pillar in the temple and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord with all his heart and all his soul. Verse 4, he ordered Hilkiah the high priest and the others from the temple of the Lord to take all the articles made for Baal, false god, Asherah, false god, and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places where false gods were worshipped. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord, burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. How <laughs> about passion to clean this place up. He tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. They had put prostitutes in God's temple. He tore down their quarters where women also did weaving for Asherah. Goes on and on. Verse 10, he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. God's people were actually sacrificing their children to this false god. He went and completely 
destroyed that place. It goes on and on. This is a passionate young king about cleaning up God's house. And I see the same passion in Jesus looking at this man created in his image saying, no, come out of him. And I think about that and I think, why was that man in the synagogue that day? Why would a demon-possessed man be in the synagogue at all? I don't know the answer for sure, but I wonder if the man realized he had a need for the freedom this Messiah could bring. If the man realized the, the captivity, maybe he had heard word that Jesus had said earlier in Nazareth, that I came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. We don't know, but he came there, the demon shouted out while Jesus was teaching, and Jesus took the interruption as an opportunity to do business and cast that demon out, to set that man free. Leads me to ask, why are you here this morning? I think we sometimes have to ask ourselves, is there anything that, that I've become captive to in my own life that I need to bring to Jesus this morning? Anything that he wants to set me free from? The question for all of us is, would I believe him for that freedom? Would I come to him for that healing? If you haven't come to him in the first place, to trust in him for salvation. If you've come to him before, that sin that's been besetting you. Maybe you've begun to believe the lie that I have to stay captive to this. No. No, and I love the, the demon's response. He can't help but cry out, you are the Holy One of God. <laughs> James says in chapter 2, you all believe that there's one God. That's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Jesus tells them to be quiet. There's some ideas about why. You know, why would Jesus want them to keep that down, that you're the Son of God, the Messiah? Well, there's a couple ideas. One, wasn't time for that message to get out yet. It would come out in God's time. Two, he didn't want testimony from demons who followed the father of lies. That kind of testimony brings questions to people's minds. Just like Paul, remember in the book of Acts, a slave girl possessed by the demon. These men preached the salvation of God, and Paul was annoyed by that. This testimony of demons brings a lot of questions, but do you need any freedom this morning? He came with righteous indignation against the enemy. He also came with compassion for the hurting. I love this. In verse 38, it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, this is Peter, was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now, a couple of things about this are interesting. How many of you ever thought about the fact that Peter was married? Peter was married. Paul talks about it later on in, in his own book of Corinthians. He said that Peter had the right to take along his wife on his ministry. Don't I as well? I imagine Peter, if you look at some of the encounters between him and the Son of God, Peter's got a strong personality. I'd like to see the family dynamic there. Did they, I bet you they had some good, hearty discussions. In Peter's family. But he's married. He's got a mother-in-law. And she's sick. And what I love here is that while other people throughout the book of Luke come to Jesus and they hear his invitation to follow him and they have all the excuses in the world, Peter invites Jesus into his home. 
He invites him into his home, and as a result, his mother-in-law is healed from her high fever. It says he bent over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. And I think, what if Peter had not invited Jesus into his home? That blessing would not have come to his mother-in-law. It made me think about in our lives as well. Do we openly invite Jesus, not just here on Sunday mornings, but his, his word, his truth, his power into our homes? Because if we don't, I believe those around us are missing out on a whole lot that they could encounter if Jesus would be invited in. I saw an example of this this week. Someone I know was very down, very discouraged. And one of their coworkers, who I don't know if they know the Lord or not, was there to, to take care and called me and said, hey, so-and-so is down. Are there any folks from the church that could help out? And a couple folks from the church did. They went and they were there. And this coworker said, whoa, he, he kind of heard what was going on with the, when the folks from our church were there. And you know what he said? He said, they connect with this person on a spiritual level that, that I can't. He saw something going on. The, the Jesus in these folks ministering to that person. He's like, I, they connect in a way I never, never could. And I said, well, I'd like to meet you sometime. And he said, oh, you will. <laughs> I don't know what all he was thinking, but I, think, I, I, I like to think he, he saw something Jesus was doing and said, I, I want to learn what that's all about. Have you invited Jesus openly into your home? Have you given him control? There's a great blessing that could be spread if you do. The next passage we're going to see is a bunch of people come to him. Verse 40 says, At sunset, they waited till sunset because it was the Sabbath. They didn't want to carry people who were sick because of the Sabbath. Uh, The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. When I think about all these people, I don't know how big the crowd was. I think about how easy it is sometimes for us to become jaded when we encounter the needs of the the world and the people around us. Any of you ever get tired? Any of you ever get skeptical? Because there's some needs that are real and then there's other needs that are contrived and sometimes the difference between them gets blurry and sometimes we just feel like, man, I don't have any compassion. (laughs) I really feel kind of cold and jaded towards this. Jesus came with compassion. Where does this jaded attitude come from sometimes? Well, sometimes it comes from real events. October 7th, in the news, did you guys read about the lady that was collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars on the street? Just panhandling? And someone witnessed her hop into a 2013 Fiat. And she was counting her money. That kind of stuff makes us a little bit skeptical. It can make us jaded if we're not careful. A joke I heard recently made me think about sometimes why we're so jaded. It was a joke about a priest that was being honored at his retirement. He'd been 25 years in his parish. And they were waiting on this local politician to to do a speech. But the politician was late. 
And so the priest began with his own few words. He said, I got my first impression of this parish from the first confession I ever heard here. He said, I thought I'd been assigned to a terrible place. The very first person who entered my confessional told me he'd stolen a television set and when questioned by the police, was able to lie his way out of it. He had stolen money from his parents, embezzled from his employer, had an affair with his boss's wife, and had taken illegal drugs. I was appalled that one person could do so many awful things. But as the days went on, I learned that most people were not all like that first confession, and I had indeed come to a fine parish full of good and loving people. Just as the priest finishes his talk, the, the politician comes in. And he started right away to make his presentation. He says, I'll never forget the first day our parish priest arrived. In fact, I had the honor of being the first person to go to him for confession. (laughs) The moral of the story is being late can cost you more than, than you realize. But you look at the list and you think about our perception sometimes of people and politicians. and It's easy to become jaded. I'm not, I'm not going to have compassion. But Jesus' response was different than that. Matthew 9 talks about a similar situation when he sees a crowd. 9.36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'll never forget one time I read that. I don't know if you're ever reading God's Word and it hits you like a two-by-four. <laughs> I shared this with some of you before. I was up in Boulder, Colorado, right downtown. Boulder, Colorado is a college town. I was sitting on a patio just reading my Bible, watching the college students. And you could tell many of them were high, smoking weed, drunk. I remember one guy even out there doing flips on the, the concrete. And I remember him saying, some of you are really nervous thinking I should do this on grass. He said, don't worry, I am. (laughs) And I remember sitting there, so holy, reading my Bible and feeling very judgmental. You know, just very, even angry towards these people out there, high and drunk. And the passage I happened to be reading was this passage in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Two by four. (laughs) After I finished at that storefront, I spent the next few hours hanging out on the square talking to those folks. She got into some spiritual conversations. Wouldn't have happened if God hadn't hit me with that two by four. But you know what? Jesus has compassion on the crowds. Do we have compassion on the crowds? Around the holiday season, this is fresh in our minds especially. Do we really love our neighbors? Do we really love our family, our friends, or do we just work hard to make it look that way? Because God cares a whole lot more about our hearts than about the outward show. There's a verse in Jeremiah that says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will refine and test them for what else can I do because of the sin of my people. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With their mouths, they all speak cordially to their neighbors. There's the show. All looks good, but in their hearts, they set traps for them. 
Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And I think sometimes we get it backwards. We think, I love if you love me. I love if you behave right. I love if you make good decisions. God says, no, when you decide if you're going to love someone, you don't look at them. You look at me and how I loved you. That was the way Jesus was. He, after a long day of teaching and, and healing at Peter's house and casting out demons at sunset, they brought to him all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. That personal touch. He didn't have to lay hands on them. Who knows what kind of sicknesses some of them had. There might have been people there none of us would touch. <laughs> Jesus laid hands on them and healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. He had compassion. And what I see here in the healings and the casting out of demons is a taste of the kingdom in its full bloom that we'll see one day. You know, the kingdom's eventually going to look like this. Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He's given the people a glimpse of that. And I think that's a lot of what his healings were about while he was here. Phil Vischer talks about the kingdom like a plant. So does Jesus. <laughs> the mustard seed that starts small and grows bigger than any of the garden plants. Jesus has just given a glimpse here. It's like this, this kingdom is beginning to bloom. One day it's going to be in full bloom. So we look at this and we say, does Jesus heal everyone that he ever encountered? While he was here? Does he heal everyone on the planet that was sick? No. Does he heal everyone who's sick today? No, not in this life. I've sat in too many rooms with people that love Jesus with all their heart, trusted Jesus with all their heart. Kathy was one of them in our church. She trusted Jesus with all her heart. You know what? She went home to be with the Lord from cancer. Was it a lack of faith? You better not tell me that. I knew Kathy. Sometimes we do succumb to sickness. Lynn Robbins was another one at the Heights Church, brain cancer. Justin knew her when he was a boy. They helped with the, the kids at the church. I sat in the room with her and her husband days before she passed away. That woman loved Jesus with all of her heart. Sometimes we do succumb to sickness in this lifetime, but Sometimes Jesus does heal. We heard from Denise last week about the blockage. And when we see that, what it does is it gives us hope that one day we can hold on to the promise that all who believe in Jesus will receive a complete healing. We're going to get glorified bodies that don't know pain and suffering and sickness. Gives us something to look forward to. So he had compassion on the crowds. And finally, Jesus lived with desperate dependence in his father. All this ministry to do, he does it that evening, and what, what do we see him doing the next morning at daybreak? I mean, he was working after sunset. We don't know how late he was out healing all these people. Every excuse in the world not to get up and, and do this. Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. One of the other gospels tells us why. 
tells us he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. There was an awful lot to do in Jesus' life, but he always, always found time to rest and depend on his Father to continue to empower him in his ministry. There's the example for us. They came to him. They were looking for him. They came to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But verse 43 says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, he had to keep spreading this message of freedom. It wasn't just for one town or one city. In his ministry, he spread it throughout Israel, and then he told his disciples to take it to the world. He had this sense of must that we talked about. I must go. I must preach. I must go preach the kingdom of God. Sum up Jesus' ministry, Peter, in the book of Acts. I mean, you think about Peter. He, was in, he, he saw all this. He summed it up in Cornelius' house when he preached it to the crowd that was there. Acts 10, 38. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And I look at Jesus' ministry and I look at those points that we talked about and I just want to ask us, are we following in his footsteps today? Number one, are we going where the suffering is? Are we speaking truth when we go there? Do we have righteous indignation against the enemy? tricky question here or have we misplaced that anger towards people (laughs) which leads into the next question do we have compassion on people like Jesus did and are we living with a desperate dependence on God I want to close with a quote that I I hope our church will live out when I think especially when I think about that demon possessed man coming to the synagogue what kind of uh, boldness must that have taken for him to be there He came, I believe, looking for healing. There's a quote that you've probably heard that says this, The church is not a museum of perfect saints, but a hospital for sinners. And I believe those who believe in Jesus are saints. But we should never become that place that we put on this show that makes the people that need deliverance feel like they're not welcome here. Because you know what? We all do. We all struggle You ever have that moment where you want to go to your missional community or your church, but you look at your week, and I think the enemy camps on this. He says, no, you're down. All those people are happy and perfect, and I'm... It's not true. That's the enemy. That's what he wants us to think. We, We must always be that hospital for sinners. This guy said we should print that on yard signs and put them on our front lawns. We should paint it on banners and hang the banners from our steeples. We are a hospital for sinners. Wounds healed inside. He goes on to say, a broken world needs a place to bring its spiritual injuries. We need an emergency room more than we need a courtroom. And guess what Jesus brought? He didn't hesitate from speaking the truth, but he did it in a context where he offered compassion and deliverance. Father, I thank you so much that Jesus came here, became one of us, 
the lengths he went to to offer freedom to us. Lord, we looked at his early ministry today. We know that ultimately it led him to a cross where he took our sin upon himself and gave his life, rose again, that we might be made right with you if we would simply trust, turn to you, Jesus. Please help us to walk in his footsteps in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. Jesus lived in desperate dependence and prayer upon his Father, and he walked in the power of the Spirit. Father, may we do the same. And I just pray in this quiet moment here that you would help us, lead us, Holy Spirit, into the places that we need to go this week. Where's the suffering that we could walk into? Show it to each one of us. What's the truth? What are the words of life that I need to speak into that situation? Where do I need to pray against the enemy? Who's suffering from his onslaught that I need to pray with and for? Is there anything in me that Jesus wants to purge? Do I really have compassion? Or have I become that jaded individual? And lastly, do I get a way to rest in the Father? Sometimes we do need rest. Sometimes we do need a break. Sometimes we do need to bring it to you, Father, and get replenished. I pray especially as we enter this holiday season with family and friends and and neighbors that we'd walk in your footsteps, Jesus, loving people from the inside out and bringing the truth of your word to them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.